Welcome to Thought for the Week, a series of individual reflections broadcast over five weekdays here on Manx Radio. This morning, we welcome John Christian as he joins us with a thought for the day. Although on the face of it, the question, what would Jesus do, seems harmless enough, I usually find myself cringing whenever I hear it. A few years ago, during the Occupy London demonstrations, which culminated in St Paul's Cathedral becoming the focal point for protesters, what would Jesus do became their battle cry and rallying slogan. After all, wasn't it Jesus who famously cleared the temple in Jerusalem of unscrupulous moneylenders and traders? The more closely we know someone, the better able we are to predict with any accuracy how they are likely to respond in a given situation. However, it strikes me when I hear someone asking, what would Jesus do? They are not so much looking for an answer as making a personal statement. Having already made up their own minds, this rhetorical question has far more to do with trying to persuade others to come to the same point of view. For detailed eyewitness accounts of Jesus, we must turn to the first four books of the New Testament, known collectively as the Gospels. These are our only reliable clues to who Jesus was and consequently our authority for knowing what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Even armed with such accounts, we need to be very careful about assuming we know for certain what Jesus would do. After all, he succeeded in surprising even his closest circle of friends on many occasions. Rather than trying to predict what Jesus would do based on our own interpretation and perhaps even misunderstanding of biblical narrative, wouldn't it be better to pray to the living God for his wisdom and direction to guide our thoughts and actions each and every day? I love those films where characters travel backwards or forwards in time and we share all the surprises and embarrassing moments they experience in an unfamiliar world while life seems to carry on quite normally around them. Which of us hasn't at some point dreamt of climbing into a time machine and walking down the same street as it was 200 years ago or will be in 200 years' time? Like the gentle but relentless erosion of our sandy cliffs, the danger of subtle, undermining change is that we may fail to notice what's going on until it's too late to do anything about it. We are very privileged to live in a place where our history, heritage, laws, government, morals and even our architecture have been strongly influenced over many years by Judeo-Christian values. Equally, as individuals and collectively as a society, we are seriously at risk of losing this cornerstone of our safe and free part of the world by simply doing nothing to prevent its erosion. We are right to fear the spread of any religion or philosophy which disregards human rights and glorifies in terrorising people into submission. But by the systematic dismantling of our Christian foundations in the name of tolerance and progress, we pose a far greater danger from within. I wonder how much of our Christian heritage would still exist if we suddenly found ourselves transported into the 23rd century. Would it seem familiar, or, like a once fine building now in ruins, would people be asking why its owners didn't do anything to preserve it while they still could? It is often reported that although only a minority of people attend church on a regular basis, a lot of us do pray, even if we are not sure who we're praying to. I wonder how many of us feel that those prayers are answered at least some of the time. 
A book I'm reading at the moment by Peter Grieg called God on Mute suggests several reasons why people may, in our opinion anyway, be unsuccessful. Perhaps our prayers are at times unrealistic or even contradictory, rather like the geography exam candidate praying that Oslo is the capital of Sweden. A friend of mine is a farmer and of course he needs rain at the right time to make his crops grow and to stay in business. If God were to send rain whenever the farmer wanted it, a lot of couples getting married, who had prayed for sunshine, would be disappointed. How much more sensible for the farmer to install a backup irrigation system in the event of drought and the wedding couple to realise that a happy marriage requires a lot more than sunshine on the big day. Clearly, there are practical reasons why God cannot answer every prayer to suit our individual wishes. But what about those times when our prayers seem logical and realistic? The sick person prays for healing or the unemployed for a job and it doesn't happen. There is no clear answer to this and genuine faith means being willing to accept disappointment too. Jesus himself prayed to be spared the agony of death on the cross. Let this cup pass from me, but still managed to pray, yet not my will, but thy will be done. I wonder how well we would handle Jesus if he suddenly turned up here in the flesh. Would we even recognise him? Visually, he probably wouldn't be quite what we imagined because, as a non-European, he almost certainly wasn't blonde. But surely once he spoke, in educated English of course, we would quickly warm to the nice man we learnt about in Sunday school or RE lessons and sing hymns about at Christmas. Or would we? The Bible is the only detailed account we have of Jesus, so it's the obvious place to find out the truth from people who knew him personally and kept a record of what he said and did. If you think Jesus was a nice man who did some nice things and never offended anyone, think again. Contrary to the stereotypical, sanitised, presentable image we are fed by the media and, sad to say, by many mainstream churches, Jesus said some extraordinary things which do not sit at all comfortably in our politically correct, postmodern world. Yes, we are happy to accept the notion that God loves us, but Jesus says there will also be a day of judgement. It would be nice to think that all religions are basically the same, but Jesus says he, and he alone, is the way, the truth, and the life. You'll hear a lot of people saying, I'm happy with Jesus, but I'm not too comfortable about some of his teaching. Yet Jesus makes it quite clear that the two are inseparable. Jesus and what he taught go together. I challenge you today to read what Jesus really said, including the difficult bits, and then decide how much of a gentleman he really is. It has been suggested that one of the problems with many of our churches today is that we are being suffocated by our own niceness. Since regular attendance began to fall out of fashion, the church has been on the defensive and frequently feels the only way it can survive is to conform to current thinking and, in terms of the message it sends out, not to say anything too controversial. Yet, if we look at the life of Jesus, the one in whose name the church exists, we find that he doesn't fit our understanding of nice at all. He insulted the religious leaders of his day. He spoke out against exploitation, provoked reactions, offended sensitivities, and his behaviour must have seemed downright rude at times. He wasn't afraid to confront wrongdoing with truth and openly exposed hypocrisy. 
This is the point where I begin to become confused, and I suspect I'm not alone. What does a church, which seems more concerned with being popular, successful and fitting in, have to do with an outspoken, impatient, uncompromising Jesus? No wonder the world doesn't get it. I've been a churchgoer for many years, and I don't either. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that our churches should be unwelcoming and insensitive, but rather that niceness, for its own sake, has nothing to do with following Jesus. Don't be fooled into thinking that Jesus' message of love means that anything goes. The church that Christ had in mind wasn't an exclusive social club or a fusion of different philosophies, but a group of people committed to serving and honouring God. That may well mean abandoning our niceness when the need arises, if we are serious about being more Christ-like. <laughs>